0: Hello and thank you very much indeed for joining me. I am Professor Alistair Duff and this is the Polymath Podcast. This is a series in which I examine a wide range of issues, books and ideas. I hope you'll find it interesting. This time I'm going to talk about critiques of justice. Last time I spoke about John Rawls's theory of justice His book, A Theory of Justice, published in 1971, set the precedent, the standard for all subsequent theorising about justice. I'll just briefly summarise it. He talked about justice as fairness. It was a critique of utilitarianism, which is basically justice as welfare. And Rawls developed two principles of justice. First, the principle of liberty. And second, what he called the Difference Principle, which allows limited inequality, so long as there is equality of opportunity. He allows differentials in outcomes, so it's a geometric form of equality rather than arithmetic equality. This has interested philosophers in the West and beyond. And indeed, Robert Nozick, a fellow theorist, said that everyone must now work within Rawls's theory or explain why not. It was that important. And if you Google it, you'll find that Rawls has joined the canon of Western philosophy alongside other great names like Plato, Aristotle, Hobbes, Locke, John Stuart Mill, Marx, and so on. This theory has been subjected to quite a few criticisms. And in this podcast, I'm going to explore three lines of criticism, which are criticisms, not just of Rawls, but of liberal egalitarianism generally. And this is important because liberal egalitarianism is, in many ways, the consensus among thinkers and people who regard themselves as progressive. So, if any of these criticisms stand up, then we do have a problem. The three lines of criticism I want to explore are firstly critiques from the political right, second, as you might have guessed, critiques from the left, and thirdly, I'm going to explore some critiques of Rawls's methods of proving his principles of justice, his justificatory apparatus if you like. So please stick with me. I believe this is a terribly important debate for everyone today because it's about justice, about a fair society. What should we all get? What are we entitled to? And how do values clash? You know, this underpins politics. It underpins the politics of Britain. It underpins the politics of the United States. It underpins the politics of many, many modern democracies. So please stay with me. This is Alistair Duff, the Polymath podcast, and I'm looking forward to exploring these ideas with you. Thank you for listening so far. criticism of egalitarianism from the right is that it's based on envy. If some people have less than others then they're envious of others and should just be quiet and accept the inequality. This is sometimes called the politics of procrustes, egalitarianism is, named after the ancient figure of Greek mythology or I should say the figure from ancient Greek mythology, who was an innkeeper who had just one guest room and one bed in it. And if his guest was too long, he would come in the middle of the night and cut that guest's feet off to make him fit the bed. And if the guest was too short, he would steal in in the middle of the night and put the guest on a rack and stretch him or her. So people on the right sometimes say that liberal socialism is a form of procrustean politics, of forcing people to be equal. But this is a very unsympathetic view of society. The whole point of Rawls's original position, where he put people behind a veil of ignorance, asked us to think of ourselves in an original position behind a veil of ignorance was to make sure people could think of what it's like for others. They do not know, as I said in podcast one, who they will be once the veil is taken away. So they have to think from the point of view of everyone in society, including the less fortunate. It really goes back to the golden rule, doesn't it? Do unto others as you'd have them do to you. So envy has nothing to do with socialism. Socialism is about distributive fairness and nothing to do with envy or jealousy. A second criticism from the right is that socialism is a a form of politics that doesn't respect dessert. But dessert is more appropriate to retributive justice, to retribution, I think, than to distributive justice. Distributive justice, as Rawls conceives it, is about overarching principles that guide the division of social advantages and burdens. It's at the macro level that Rawls is operating, and his difference principle operates at the level of the basic structure of society. He's not denying that at the micro level, people can't have legitimate expectations or that ideas of dessert don't come into play. As he puts it at one point, justice as fairness is not about giving benefits to people who surf all day off Malibu. So Rawls is basically saying at the level of the construction of society you need to input principles of justice that guide the system as a whole and i think that this is a correct way of understanding justice it's at the micro level not at the macro level excuse me not at the micro level as rawls puts it at one point only god can make judgments about who has moral desert, so we can't say that someone has deserved their great fortune. We have to operate at the level of basic, the politics of distribution, not at a level of individual judgments about who is worth what. That simply isn't appropriate. A third criticism from the right about egalitarianism, I'm sure you've heard this one, is that it, that it interferes with liberty. But this doesn't apply to liberal egalitarianism. Rawls explicitly says that liberty has priority over other forms of economic and social justice. He gives liberty what he calls lexical priority, which means absolute priority. And under that he includes the basic liberties which we in constitutional democracies and liberal democracies enjoy freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of movement, equality before the law and all that stuff. That is absolutely guaranteed in Rawls's theory of justice. It's only economic liberties that are called into play, are called into question. For example, the freedom to own mines, the freedom to own large factories. These economic freedoms are indeed questioned by egalitarianism and limited, typically. But liberty as a whole would not go down. In fact, it would be increased. As R. H. Tawny, another great egalitarian thinker, once put it, freedom for the pike is death for the minnows. So, justice is about everybody having a measure of freedom, not just the rich, as has historically been the case in far too many societies. So, liberty, we're saying, because I'm an egalitarian as well, Rawls is saying, Torn is saying, and I'm agreeing, liberty is actually maximised under egalitarianism. A final criticism from the right is from Rawls's fellow theorist Robert Nozick, who wrote a great work called Anarchy, State and Utopia, which was in many ways a critique of Rawls. Nozick's book came out three years later, in 1974, and he objects to all what he calls patterning principles. He says that you can't just take a snapshot of society and say oh there's a terrible maldistribution there some people have got so much and some people have got so little. He says that's the wrong way of thinking about society. You have to look back into the past and see how liberty not liberty how wealth has been accumulated or well, liberty as well has been accumulated over the years and if people have you know done some work, made some money, traded and so on, swapped stuff, exchanged stuff, then, you, you know, they might end up with more. And he says if you look historically, it gives entitlements to people to have what they have today. So if they haven't violated any laws and rules and haven't exploited people on the way to their great fortune then you can't say that it's unjust. But this, I think, is a mistake because we do look at society. This is what our intuitions tell us. We can look at society and see that something is amiss. We do see things as maldistributions. Look at countries like, well, I'll name them, India, the United States, even Britain today, and South America. You see some groups with a massive amount of resources and others in poverty in some of these countries and even in starvation that is an affront to our basic moral intuitions our intuitions about justice however the people at the top have got their goods even if they've done it according to the rules since time immemorial as um, another thinker called Derek Parfit, late thinker Derek Parfit, put it: some principles of justice are telic; they're about the end, about the outcomes, not just deontic, about how the end result came about. And Rawls's theory is basically a telic theory of justice, and so was Rawls's, Was Tawney's, the other guy I quoted earlier. I think there's a lot of common ground between the great John Rawls, the American thinker, and the great R.H. Tawney, the British thinker who influenced the Labour Party in its golden era in the UK. So these are four lines of criticism that you'll hear from the right about Liberal Socialism or Liberal Egalitarianism and I don't think any of them are valid. This is Professor Alistair Duff and the Polymath Podcast. In this section I want to look briefly at left-wing criticisms of Rawls. Some on the radical left and on the communistic left regard Rawls as too individualistic. And it is true that he enshrines the individual. As he said on page one, I quoted it last time, the rights secured Page one of *A Theory of Justice, I should add. The rights secured by justice are not subject to political bargaining or to the calculus of social interests. And that great work is designed, Rawls tells us, as a critique of utilitarianism, which is the doctrine of social welfare. Rawls thinks the individual can get submerged in utilitarianism. So he wants the individual to be respected. He thinks utilitarianism doesn't take seriously the separateness, the distinction between persons. So I think forms of collectivism do fall foul of Rawls's theory of justice as fairness. And it is undoubtedly a more moderate doctrine of equality than Maoism or Marxism-Leninism but that could be regarded as a strength, not a weakness, at least if you associate oppression and totalitarianism with Leninism and Maoism. Rawls also has been criticised by not communists now, but by communitarians, which was a school of thought that grew up in the 80s and 90s of the last century, and it basically said that the community is important with its traditions and associations. And they thought, the communitarians, that Rawls really didn't respect tradition enough. And they spoke of his theory as having an unsituated individual at its centre, or they spoke of an, an unencumbered self in Rawlsian thought. Now, I think this criticism isn't fair because really they're speaking about the original position where, as I said last time, Rawls asks us to do a thought experiment and to picture ourselves behind a veil of ignorance in, yes, an unsituated situation where we don't know who we are and so we choose principles of justice on the assumption that we could end up as anyone in society. We could end up as female, not male. We could end up as black, not white. We could end up as not very talented. So we have to choose principles rationally and we have to think of the point of view of everyone in society. Now that's a great thought experiment because it makes us think morally And it's unfair to say that in Rawls's original position, the self is unsituated. It's meant to be. There's no baggage there because that baggage can bias our our understanding and our choice of principles of justice. If we know that we're male, white, talented, etc., then we're going to choose principles of justice that are biased in favour of people like ourselves so the criticism i don't think works from the communitarian left any more than from the communist left but there is an element of truth in the in this line of criticism and in the communist line of criticism i think which is that brotherhood or sisterhood or what you might call today not wanting to speak in sexist language solidarity isn't sufficiently respected in Rawls's theory of justice because although he makes a lot of liberté and he makes a lot of égalité, he doesn't make much of fraternité. You know, the great slogan of the French Revolution, liberty, equality and fraternity. And many people talk about liberty and equality but they don't say much about fraternity or solidarity. And this is true of Rawls. And I think Rawls's thought needs to be corrected by, I would recommend, the work of R.H. Tawney, who wrote a classic called Equality. I may have quoted it earlier. And that really does make much of our human brotherhood and sisterhood. It makes a lot of what he calls human fellowship a common humanity. And Tawney envisaged a society where we did treat each other as brothers, as comrades. And this is the element of truth in communism as well, that we should regard other citizens, not just as other citizens, but as comrades. Wouldn't it be great if we actually called each other comrade without going down the full road of communism? So Rawls's position, I think, does need to be tempered a little to be corrected or balanced by a stronger doctrine of human solidarity. But apart from that, I think his theory stands up. Another criticism from the left of Rawls is of his difference principle, which, as I said last time, says that inequalities, differentials in economics, in our material um, holdings, are permissible if they work to the benefit of the whole society and particularly its worst-off group. So he's allowing incentives, he's allowing ambition, he's allowing entrepreneurialism to some extent so that some groups will get ahead so long as they take everyone else with them. And particularly, he always says this, particularly the worst-off. His is a principle of maximin of maximising the position of the worst-off, but it's not saying we have to have an exact arithmetic equality. The question is, how much inequality is Rawls allowing? And some people who are, if you like, right-wing interpreters of Rawls say that he would allow massive inequality, say the distinction between the wages of a factory worker and a factory owner being a a ratio of 1 to 100. But those of us on the left or who consider ourselves more progressive interpreters of Rawls think that that is a mistake, that he only allows very limited inequality and the ratio would be something like 1 to 4 or at most 1 to 10. And I think that is the correct interpretation of Rawls because he does speak out at times against immense fortunes. I read recently of a lottery uh, winning of £111 million. Now, that is completely off the scale in a Rawlsian society. No one should earn that much or win that much. He's trying to limit economic differentials He's trying to take societies like the United States, Britain, and so on to the left and to really stop this out-of-control inequality that we've had since the 80s in the West and elsewhere. So I think the correct interpretation of rules is really of European social democracy, old-fashioned labour policy, such as that, if I can quote... Uh, the great Irish Tory again in his wonderful essay "Social Democracy in Britain," which was written about the Atlee government after the Second World War, which set up the wonderful National Health Service and did a lot of other great things. It's a wonderful essay that, and I think Rawls would have liked that essay, and I think really social democracy is the correct interpretation of Rawls's great theory of justice as fairness. So it's not a defence of the status quo as some argue. It isn't as left-wing as radical socialism and communism. It's a liberal theory, but it's liberal egalitarianism. And if we put it into practice, it would take our societies to the left and get rid of some of these great fortunes which people have in our societies, as well as getting rid of the poverty of the worst off. again this is Professor Alistair Duff and it's the Polymath podcast. In this final bit and it's the final bit of really two podcasts. In the first one I tried to expand Rawls's theory of justice and in this second podcast I've examined certain criticisms of Rawls's position and of liberal egalitarianism more generally. I want to tie it up now by looking at how he proves his principles I've strongly defended them, but does he have any proofs? I mean, what is his method of justification? And he has been criticised for relying on intuitions too much. So, for example, when I said if you divide a cake up, a birthday cake, and give one child less than other children, then we would feel that was unfair. So, I've relied on our, our intuitions about this, our intuitions about that, and Rawls does a lot in his theory. <clears throat> now, doesn't that make his theory of justice very subjective, you might ask? Rather unanchored. This is a criticism that Rawls's harshest critic made. His name was R.M. Hare, Richard Hare, and he was famous in the 20th century for his... Uh, doctrine of prescriptivism, and he took Rawls's theory apart and said he's just relying too much on intuitions. Now, I think this criticism by Hare is unjust for two reasons. First of all, you have to work with intuitions, with our moral sentiments, when you're doing moral and political philosophy, especially strongly felt convictions, what Rawls calls, calls fixed points, in our thinking. And, you know, this is the material with which a philosopher must work, the material with which a political theorist and a a political orator, a political party, they have to work with what is known, (coughs) what is felt with people's convictions about justice, their pre-reflective intuitions about justice. And in fact, Hare himself does. He thinks he doesn't, but in my opinion, he does because his doctrine of prescriptivism depends in the end on our feelings about the stupidity or the irrationality or the unfairness indeed of certain situations. So every philosophy ultimately does go back to feelings and to to intuitions. But the second reason is that Rawls isn't just relying on intuitions. He offers a great thought experiment. I've raved about it earlier. The original position and the veil of ignorance he puts people behind. And this is his method of justification. It's a way of challenging our intuitions. He says, think yourself into the original position. And then he stimulates our thinking and It organises our intuitions about justice and fairness. It clarifies our intuitions and it extends them in some ways. It refines our intuitions and develops them in the direction Rawls hopes they will be developed. At least that was my experience and that's been the experience of many others when they've taken the trouble to think themselves back into the original position of people deliberating about what principles should govern society, but they're behind a veil of ignorance. So there's this constant back and forth between the original position and our intuitions, and our pre-reflective intuitions, our raw feelings about justice, can be developed by this toing and froing, and after it we come to a position which Rawls calls, are considered judgments in reflective equilibrium. And I think Rawls is absolutely correct that we need to work with people's feelings, their current feelings, their pre-reflective feelings, or intuitions, as philosophers like to call them, to work with them, to play with them, and to develop them in the direction of a a theory of justice. (coughs) So this might not be a full justification or proof, but you can't really get proofs in moral and political philosophy. It is, though, an extremely useful way of thinking about justice. And I believe, and many, many, many others believe, that Rawls, in his theory of justice, has produced a monumental work, a seminal work, which has expressed and justified, insofar as it's possible to justify moral theories, justified his doctrine of justice as fairness. So I do hope you'll go away and read Rawls's theory of justice and think about what he's saying and compare that theory to politics in your own society, whether you're in the United States, in Britain, in a European country, really anywhere in the world. Compare what Rawls says about justice as fairness and see whether your society measures up to the principles of justice that he works out. And I think you'll find that in most cases, this is certainly the case in Britain, our society doesn't measure up. So we need to have reform in the direction of social justice. I hope you found this useful. This is Professor Alistair Duff and the Polymath Podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.